0: I'm looking at 31 years. I was 39 years old hearing that. And the only number that kept popping up in my mind was 70. And I just, it was devastating. Like my life was over. It, it broke me down to the, uh, the bottom of myself. I just, I was just like, I have, I've had it, you know, and the tears, the tears couldn't really capture the pain on the inside that I let my family down, I let everybody down, I let myself down. let like, you know, I just, I let God down.
1: Hello, beautiful people. It's your host, Danielle Mason, bringing you authentic conversation, transparency around real life experiences, and actionable tips to create your next breakthrough today. Think of this as your home away from home healing oasis, where we overshare and overcome obstacles together. Pull up a seat, come as you are, and be ready to leave feeling challenged to reflect, encouraged to take action, and inspired to change. This is the Blackouts to Breakthroughs podcast. We're back with another episode of Blackouts to Breakthroughs, and I have a special guest on today. His name is Dornell Cole. I actually met him through my sister. They do business together, and he has such an incredible story and testimony, and I really just want him to introduce himself. So, Dornell, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much.
1: So I just really want to dive in. I know you've, you've dealt with drug abuse, you've been in jail and prison, and you have so much that we can just dive into and, you know, seeing who you are today, I wouldn't have even known that you went through those things. So I would love to hear, you know, what led you down that path of, of drug use?
0: That's a great question. Um. Pretty much. Uh, it was the group of people that I was around. That crowd I hung out with is some of the, my best friends growing up in high school. And that that's where the drug use came from. And it was originally marijuana. And I have this part of the testimony before the drug use. In 1993, in my graduation year, we'd hang out and they'd literally go smoke marijuana and offer it to me. And i tell them, no, Like I'd be playing the Super Nintendo. I still remember playing mario kart on 16-bit nintendo and they'd come in from the back patio and it was like you know my friend teeth he'll come and then here's like this is the doorframe and he'd come and he would just and his he- eyes were like his eyes were like he could barely open his eyes they were like so red and he, he's super white and he'd just be like oh oh like something's eating them coming down the side of the doorframe and i'd be sitting in the room i'd look at him i'd be like laughing at him but be like yeah i'm good they'd offer it all the time and i'd tell them no until i graduated Because I had it in my heart that my dad said, and whatever you do, they'll make sure you graduate. And I just, I wouldn't do it. So that summer of 93 is when it started. Oh my God, he's ready to smoke. Let's, let's, let's hang out. It was like this big event for me to try marijuana. And then, uh, it, it gradually got, uh, into other things. Like let's just say, okay, so at first it was LSD, paper LSD, and uh, everybody wanted to try it. That pretty much opened more doors for trying different things, just, I guess, basic things people try like normally. But for me, we went from doing the marijuana to the LSD, and then that opened up a lot more doors for we tried the cocaine and things like this. Just from that crowd I used to hang around with. So that was the drug use coming in.
1: That's so big what you said. It was the people that you're hanging out with. And that's I mean environment everything and it has such a massive influence on your actions, your thoughts, what you desire, so many things. So how long did that go on for?
0: Thinking back right now, um for 2 years. I used and uh for a 9 month period with the LSD. I did 50 different kinds of it. Me and my friend used to write down what we could remember and from what Names we could remember and writing down and putting our memories together, we came up to over 50 times, 50 different instances and 50 different names. So in a nine month period and then that that ended. So if we look at that, that was the first bid, right, Mm -hmm. because the hypnol drug came out, which is called nickname roofies. And it was coming from Mexico over there and they're literally getting them for pennies over there. And then like one pill over here would be five dollars. So there was a lot of people who had networks in that. And my friend went to college on a plastic scholarship. My, my best friend brings back 10, 10 packs of Rev Hypnol or Roofie or nickname, quote unquote, the date rate pill, where one pill at a beer is like a six pack or a 12 pack. And I was on 10 of those at once and mixing with the marijuana and alcohol and, and I think painkillers, too, I ended up going into like a blackout and I got armed robbery. That was the first charge in 95. So that's a long time. I was gone six years and got out in 01. And then I stayed out for seven years. So that's a big gap right there. And for those seven years, let's say it was like cocaine and and marijuana. I went to massage school during that time over them seven years. I graduated in uh, 04. I started school in 03. I did 11 and a half months full-time, Monday through Friday, Uh, And I actually operated in the field as a licensed massage therapist for over five years. And then I go back and I get, this is hard right here. I got hit with a six-year bid. I was operating as a therapist and uh, got into the drug use again. Something happened where I, I had a job in Port Canaveral. At Ron John Resort. And that was like the best job I had. I did poolside massage for a few months there. Dollar a minute. Kept 100% of the tips. I had a very, very good career there. It was just great. So then, you know, I had that other the other bid came. I, I relapsed on the coat.
1: So I want to take a pause. Whenever you say bid, what does bid mean?
0: Doing time in prison is a bid. B-I-D. Okay, and you'll okay. hear that swaying. like when you hear people talk, you'll hear that. So, sorry, I didn't explain that.
1: No, you're uh, good. I was like, wait, what is bid? <laughs>
0: yeah. So that relapse happened. I caught six years, did five off of it, got out, and a hundred and about eight days later, was rearrested, relapsed on the coke and the uh these pills called uh Klonopin, but it's a benzodiazepine. Those are Xanax and stuff like that. They 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 uh, promote blackouts. So I was literally speedballing because they're two separate hives and your body's fighting to stay alive. And the, the, the whole lie about it is that I bought into is the feeling and the euphoria, but there's no euphoria. Cause in the end, now your money's gone and now you're in a worse place than you were in the beginning. And I just kind of just, I was going through that vicious cycle. And so after, after being out for only 180, 108 days, I was threatened with 31 years. Wow. Because the state said that they're going to file habitual offender. And then if the, if the court accepts it, I'm looking at 31 years, I was 39 years old hearing that. And the only number that kept popping up in my mind was 70. And I just, it was devastating. Like my life was over. It, it broke me down to the uh, the bottom of myself. I just, I was just like, I have, I've had it, you know, and the tears, the tears couldn't really capture the pain on the inside that I let my family down, I let everybody down, I let myself down. Like, you know, I just, I let God down. Like I was, praying so hard to God with tears like to make a way and I did do I did do seven I did ended up with I was offered 10 years after being threatened with that HO my my public defender is like look I can get a fee deal for 10 right now And I literally only been out 100 days it just like hurt like it was like a death feeling in my heart like what What are you talking about? And then we went to the court hearing the next day and they came down to eight and he's like, look, they're going to file HO. This is the last offer right here. It's up to you. I'll give you time. They're overworked. We didn't have the money to pay for a lawyer. I mean, it was just, I'm 39 and I needed to be making better choices, you know? And uh, it was hard. I got sentenced and I just felt like I lost part of myself. I didn't feel the same, like it hurt. And during that time, I could stop right there because because that was seven years, that would be all of them together. That's all the bids, that's all the times locked up together right there with that last one. And I got out last year from work release. So I was at work release for a good 15, 16 months. And there I could work out here in the city of Jacksonville. I had an ankle monitor on, but I was at Zag's fees. They let me run the drive-through like literally the favor I had because I was gone. And while I was gone, I got deep into the word of God. When I come on IG live and I come on IG live and I share and there's replays up and I I share the word. So is your sister with me in ministry, but I do it by myself on Sundays. i never would ever thought that I'd be on on a social media live platform sharing the word of God. And it's just (laughs) like, there's so many responses, but that's a lot of years. If you look at it, of the drug use altogether, I, to shorten that would say about five years.
1: I mean, just one thing to say, it just shows you being vulnerable and real and honest and you just sharing what you're passionate about can really attract the right people to you. That's just a side thing. So I do want to ask the first time you got sentenced was because of armed robbery. When you were blackout, you don't remember what happened.
0: I remember bits and pieces.
1: Oh, okay. And then the second, I mean, the times after that was from drug use?
0: Yes. Cocaine okay. and benzoapidines or Xanax, which they promote blackouts.
1: Okay. Got you. So you said you got into the word, like what has been your faith journey?
0: The first time that I came into contact with knowledge of the Lord, I was about seven years old and it's me and my baby brother, Laurel. He lives in Dallas, Texas. And we were walking through the neighborhood and we literally came up to this white kid. He was like outside when we were walking and he came up to us and he was really nice to us and he approached us and he he said, hey, uh, are you safe? And I remember at that age, even at that age, never hearing the word. They were hearing about maybe seeing a commercial and it showed Moses or something and it was in cartoon, maybe seeing like a cartoon, like commercial of, a, of, a, of the gospel or something, but not really submitted to it and hearing it. And he just asked me that question. And I remember thinking, this is a deep question. He <laughs> does not mean like just saying it. Like my mind was, ta- was doing that. Like I was thinking, that's a, that's, this is something deep. And I was like, no, I don't. But can you explain it to me? And he, he shared about the gospel and how Christ came and was born of the Virgin Mary and suffered and died being sinless for the sins of the world. And that he was buried and, and rose from the grave three days later. And he sent it up high of those that confess his name in prayer and receive him as their Lord and Savior, that they'll be saved. And he even went as far as share as you'll get a frown. And it'll be reserved for you in heaven, a golden crown. And every time you lead somebody to the Lord, he was a Baptist from a Baptist uh, denomination ministry. Uh, Very, very kind, very powerful prayer from him. He prayed for a long time, literally. But he said that we get a jewel for every soul led to the Lord in our crown. So, I received it in childlike faith. And I just remember to this day, I remember leading 11 children. My number got to 11. Leading and praying, literally holding hands with other kids. I received, here's my Lord, Savior, Lord Jesus, I confess and believe in you. And praying with others, uh, that was just some of the beginnings right there. So growing up, you know, I was still young and I still remember this. God has blessed me with a photographic memory. And I can remember going to that church. And I can remember sitting in the service because we had a Sunday service with other children. And then after that, you could go into the main sanctuary. And I remember they had a guest and he painted. So he was painting and he was giving life story testimony while he was painting. And I remember you can't see any paint. It was just a white canvas. So he's painting. And it was interesting to me at that age. And that's what caught my attention. I can literally visualize this right now. I can see him up there. And his little painter, painter is his painter posture. You know, he's, he's, he's confident and he's painting and he's telling the story. And all you see, you do see something like you see an ocean, right? And it's, and it's boisterous. The waves are up there and, uh, you see a ship and it just looks like a nightmare on the ocean, but you don't see anything when he's painting, like when he's painting on it, nothing's, I'm just like, what is he doing? Hmm. But then like, he, it te- gives a testimony of how God hears when we cry to him. And how in his life he cried out and God came. He showed, and then he put a light on that canvas, a different light, and you could see what he painted. And the, all that, all that storm was calm, and it was beautiful looking. If you can picture those old ships like pirates used, yeah, a ship like that, and and it was calm, and you could see a giant hand, like if this is the if this is the ship, you could see a giant hand over the ship, and everything calm, and it's the wow. hand of God. And I could just remember that from a childhood. And by faith, I received that as God's big enough to to save me if I need it. And uh, those are the beginnings of, and as far as reading the word physically, 1995, I read the old King James version. And I remember reading the thou, what Dost thou say of thyself? Talking about John the Baptist, who art thou? I was reading that. And Daniel, to this day, when I think back on that. It looked like the words were alive. Did it look like they were moving like when I was on acid? No, it was almost like a glow was coming from the scripture and all I had was Matthew through revelation. And when I read it, it felt like I already knew it, knew it before or should have been reading it, you know, a long time ago. Like I'm already a part of this. Why haven't I been reading this? Kind of like that. And. I had a practice of reading four chapters at breakfast time of Matthew. So Matthew, Matthew chapters one through four, and then four chapters in the middle of the day, and then four chapters at night. And for eight months, that was my that was my practice. So I read through the New Testament about 50 times from Matthew to Revelation during those months. And it grew when I went up the road because now you've got Strong's Concordance. You've got Hebrew, the Old Testament. You got Greek in the New. There's some up there that are pretending. There's some that don't care. And there was a lot, actually. And then there's there's some that are on fire. And I fell in a group with the group on fire and got deeper into studying and just memorizing the scriptures and attending services, sometimes six days a week, uh, different chaplains, different ministries would come in. I was actually blessed that first bid that I, that I talked about the first time that I was locked up. And there was over like 400 volunteers coming into that youthful offender facility I was in. So I actually got spoiled spiritually. I did three years of Bible prophecy study from different commentaries, different Bible translations, just diving into it and uh, sat under some apostolic anointings where people were hearing the Lord audibly or seeing his light. Like, I mean, as far as their testimony, they they seen light. So it's cool.
1: And that was while you were in jail?
0: Yes, I actually got spoiled with it with the spiritual, like I fasted a lot and I just, this is, this interesting, this came up. It's awesome. I actually just give you a little insight of, of how deep I went with that is I would fast a lot. I would fast every year, the day before Halloween, because of the cult practices I heard about babies being taken and children. And I would fast for their protection. Uh, I would do that every year. I would also uh, Easter. I'd fast every week. I would do every Sunday. And then like I would do a day every week like Sunday, 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 Sunday. And then when it comes to on the actual Easter, I'd probably go a day and a half, two days and just, you know, celebrate the Lord's resurrection. And just, I understood and learned about the different pagan holidays and all this thing. And I would just look at it from the word point of view, because, you know, we just didn't know that when we were younger, finding the eggs and all that, that that's really a pagan ritual. But I understood that this is the resurrection that I'm, that I'm, you know, and I would tell, I tell people to this day, happy resurrection day on Easter. But fasting all that time. Uh, A lot of revelation came to me. This is one, just really quick, because I know you have a time this revelation was that don't think of God as in billions of years, hundreds of millions of years. Don't think of eternity as thousands and millions of years. God spoke us into existence and he is the same. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today and forever. And through fasting, the Lord revealed this to me. I spoke you into existence. I spoke time into existence. I didn't start and I don't have an end. When you die, you enter into my reality. I am forever now. That's eternity. It's forever now. That's why now is the most important choice that we got to make in our faith because we're not always promised right now, but he is always right now. Either we'll spend forever now with him or forever now where the devil and his angels will be. That was one of the revelations that God gave me through fasting and my spiritual walk.
1: Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. What made you decide to be really strict with your fasting? Like what led you to decide to, I'm going to fast every week. I'm going to fast, you know, with all these things, what got you into fasting? And what was that process like for you? Because I mean, that's a big deal. It's not something that you take lightly.
0: Yeah. And you know, I talk I talk about it so matter of factly, but when you ask it like that, it makes me realize, hey, look, you're sharing in a world where most people, they're not fasting. (laughs) So yeah, that's a very good question. Because I remember reading in the word and I need to share this too. Like, with all those bids or times I was locked up, you got six years the first time, you got five years the second time. And then, in the la- of course, there was a gap, seven years. But then the last two were back to back. But that's a long time, seven years that last time. So I've got over 17 calendars right there or it's about 17, that's 17 calendars. So during that time, I read a lot of the word and I'm going to get back right back to your fasting question. And I can literally say that I've read the Bible from front to back 10 times. And that's just with a clear conscience from Genesis to Revelation, because there's been different, you know, those different times and different variations of studies. And I was just like, I don't care. I'm going to read numbers. I'm going to read all the names, <laughs> 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 read every name. And it may me may, maybe want to go to sleep, but I'm going to wake up and finish reading. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like literally there's a lot of times. So it's the studying, it's hearing real men and women of God with powerful testimonies like literally jaw-dropping, hair-standing up testimonies. And it's like, well, I want to get into the deeper things of the Lord. And as I read in the scriptures, like Moses, like Elijah, like the Lord Jesus, David, and all these different people who fasted all this time, like those are all big fasts right there. All the ones I named, like Daniel's got the 21-day fast. They could call it the Daniel fast. And then there's, Although those first names I read were all, besides David, were all 40, 40 day fast. And then King David, seven days when the child of Bathsheba, the first baby, and that baby died. And then Solomon and said, I I never forget that scripture because then the next baby, here comes Solomon. And it says, and God loved Solomon. And it's just like, oh, my God, it's so awesome, you know, and but. The fasting itself was an appeal spiritually because I was already reading the word on a daily basis and I. I wanted to get closer to him spiritually. And as I read, I realized, hey, there's got to be something that I got to sacrifice. And then I found through studying Isaiah chapter 58 is the guideline for all fasts. It's the basis that God wants it. It's the reason we do it. And this is what happens because it actually says in Isaiah chapter 58 that we cause our voices to be heard on high, it will happen. And of course, his word says his word will not return to him void. It'll prosper in the thing he sends it to. It'll accomplish the thing in which he pleases. So as I speak that word and fast according to it, I will get the results that he said. And it's just amazing that, like you said, how did it even come about that you want to do that? So let's talk about the reality of that. It's one thing to have the desire here. But to physically input it, I I literally had to get used to, let's say, I'll go without eating for five hours this day. Oh, a fast is 24 hours. Like my mind thinks in numbers. So, you know, I'll skip lunch today out of all the meals. That's one less meal. And then the next day, okay, I'm going to do breakfast and lunch, you know, and then maybe two days later, I give it a little break. all All right, this weekend, I'm finished. I'm, I'm going to go 20 hours. <laughs> so I built it up. I built it up. I built it up and I had faith and I was like, Lord, you know, I pray that you'll help me. And I learned through reading commentaries from mighty men and women of God that they share you. Spirit needs to lead you if you're going to do longer fasts. It needs to be of the Lord be led of the Lord and just having to have a specific thing, intent in your heart that you're praying and then you'll get the you'll get the answer and you'll know when to stop because how do we know when to stop? And that was like another thing that came up and I started to notice I would feel a deep peace in the middle of my being. I would feel a, I know that I know that I know confident peace that what I was fasting about is answered. Like I, it would be, it, it'd be a full assurance and a, and, a, and a piece inside inside my soul that this this issue and this topic that we're that I'm praying for is done.
1: Yeah, that's so incredible. And if you're listening, this type of fast is different than the fast that is super popular. You know, intermediate fasting. Fasting has been such like a hot topic of you fast for like health benefits or you fast for some other reason. This type of fasting is more spiritual. It's a spiritual fast. And so my personal question, because I've done a couple of fasts myself, whenever I actually first started walking with the Lord, I did a fast and that's what really jump my my relationship with God. But I'm curious with every single fast that you done. Have you had that deep inner peace feeling with every single one?
0: I can say yes, because like, for instance, let's, let's just give an example. There was a lot of those fasts, like what I was saying for the children. Mm-hmm. And then Easter, I was just doing it to get closer to the Lord. And then I read Isaiah 58, And in there it says to break the bands of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, that you undo every yoke. We know the other scriptures say the anointing breaks the yoke, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, that you right every wrong, to do good. And the Lord will answer it. So let's look at let's look at something literal here. Okay, so there was court cases. I passed over, like literally, I'm about to go to court, so I passed. And then, like this instance right here happened when I was at the youthful offender institution. There was like 13 people, and they kept gathering on the rec field, and they were doing like cult worship, and whatever they were doing, it kind of, you know, made people scared, and so those. Those of us who I said, like we were in, on, in an on fire, like little close group, we we heard about it. It was in an instant. It was an instant agreement. Let's fast. The, the elders that were there before me were like, all right, we're going to fast. And so it was five of us. And we literally said right now. And it was a day. I remember it was like a day and a half. And this is what we heard because this this new brother was young in the Lord. And he walked in and people were playing with a Ouija board. And so when they were playing with the Ouija board, he was just in the background. You know, he was a he was a new believer in Christ. And he was just curious. You know, he didn't know he was standing in the room and they were asking the Ouija board questions. I don't know why they were asking certain questions that I heard. And we heard this. They asked, who's the first person in this room that's going to die? And it literally said him. And so he ran out of the room and he was crying. And when we heard that, there was not even a question about it. We're fasting. And so in a day and a half, there was a random search done on that specific dorm, like out of nowhere. No one said nothing to nobody. We were just fasting and we knew about it, but we heard this. They found the Ouija board and like they went as far as to put blood on it. There was blood and an upside down cross on it, things like this. There was they ripped it up, they burned everything, and we stopped fasting. We're all just thankful in our hearts. And I felt a peace. Because your question was about the peace. I felt the peace, then heard the news. Uh, I had to go to court and I remember I had violation of community control. I never had it before. It's like house arrest. If you can imagine being on an ankle bracelet, things like this, I didn't have that. But it was called community control, but you got to write a schedule. So every day, seven days a week, there's a schedule on there. This day is church. Go looking for jobs here. At this time, I'm back. At this time, I go to, to an appointment to see you. At this point in the week, whatever, job hunting. All of it's there. So whatever that schedule says is what you're supposed to do. And uh, I was in a violation of that. So people were like saying to me, and I remember this to this day, they kept saying, hey, what what are you in here for? And it just a conversation would come up and I'd say, yeah, violation of community control. Oh, you're scarred. There was a saying scarred in Brevard because it's Brevard County. And they would say, "You're, you're scarred, man. Violation of community control. That's instant prison time. And I would say, I don't believe that. I don't receive that. And like another time, like at least five different times before I went to court, I remember another person and and another person said it one day and I was just like, I don't receive that. I believe God can do a miracle. Sometimes the hunger pains were really hard, but then like after reading the word for maybe 10, 15 minutes and then getting into maybe some worship and just laying there and praying about the topic, it would alleviate, lift up off me. I drink a little water and just keep Going, you know, but it's powerful. All those times that they said, You're scarred. This guy in the next pod just had that. He got 15 years. This guy over here on another Mm -hmm. day just got 30 years. I said, I don't believe that. I don't receive that for me as I believe for a miracle. And when I went to court, I was probably at about 30 hours and gave away the breakfast, gave away the lunch, gave away dinner, save the bag lunch and put it to the side. Cause I knew when I come down from the bath, regardless of what I hear from court, I know I'm going to eat eventually, but it's, it's a gradual coming back. Maybe a little juice, maybe a little soup broth, maybe a little bread, a cookie, just slowly come back, not eating all at once. And I learned that too, but during the fast, because that's what we're talking about, is the piece I remember specifically reading where Moses part of the Red Sea before I went to court. And I was fasting, like I said, three 30 hours. So somewhere in the in the twenty out twenties of hours before I left to go to court, I was just like reading it. I think it was that morning, and I was looking at it when he said to fear not that they that they see the salvation of the Lord in my heart, in my mind, I just pictured God standing in a blocking prison door. Like, like it was like a dungeon hole, like a dragon would come out like it's black. But God stands in the way, just like the angel of fire separated the children of Israel from the the armies of Pharaoh. And and, and when it was at night, that fire was right there. They couldn't get through that. So I was just, and when he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, you know, fear not. I was just like praying with all my heart. I read that scripture and I was just like, God, please block it. Please stand in the way and block it. This is exactly what happened. I got dressed like I was going to be at a jury selection. I had a, a lawyer. My mom literally brought her like, wrote her like an $800 check. And she just like, she's like worth way more than that. But she chose to take my case. And so she literally, brought me clothes. She brought me clothes that fit her husband's shoes. (laughs) (laughs) I had had khakis on. I had a a, a tie and a shirt on. I was standing in there and we were going to do jury select. Like I was dressed for like a, like a real. And the thing is, is you got the violation of probation and they don't need to, they don't need to prove nothing. It's like so easy to get guilty sentence on the violation of probation. And literally this is what happened. Like I show up fasting. I've got this extra weight on my leg, right? And I still go to, I still show up. You can't see it with the khakis pull over, but I can feel it when I'm walking. Like this is weird, this weight. Like this means they don't want you to run because I don't have no shackles or stuff on. But I'm sitting in the court and that's the this thing from my mind. I'm having faith in the Lord. So I sit there, right? I sit next to my lawyer and I look at her and this is literally what she's doing. She's just there's nothing on the paper. And she's just kind of just going like just, just doodling. And, and and she looked confident. And 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 I looked at her and again, I already got faith. I'm fasting and reading the word. But I looked at her and it her, it just rubbed off more on me. Like I love it. <laughs> She sure is confident. I'm super confident. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm I'm sitting there and uh, the judge goes to talking. It's formal, right? We stand up and he's talking to the state. And I noticed that he asked the question about what witnesses she got. She named nine cops. I saw two police. I was thinking in my mind, where did these people come from? Who are they? It's she named nine people. But I kept my eye focused on the judge. And I noticed he was getting angry because she goes, and we got Lieutenant such and such. Apparently, he's the one that arrested me. She goes, and Lieutenant da da. we're going to call him back in a minute and this and that. And he put, I seen the judge pull his, his glasses down and say, or what? And she's like, or we'll throw it out, your honor. And I just looked over, i was looking at my lawyer. I was like, what? I'm thinking in my mind. What? And, you know, I get, you know, she's like, oh, it's great. You can just take a minute and just hang out. Right. And she like, leads Everybody's like in recess. The judge goes back. And I'm just like looking around like, is this real? And then I get pulled to the side to a, a holding cell for a minute. She's like, you'll have a minute to meditate. I was like, yes, I, I need that. So I'm pacing back and forth in there praying I'm by myself. I'm just praying. pacing back and forth. and I'm just praying. I'm just praying. And five to 10 minutes later, the flap opens. The state wants to know what you want. And I was just like. I, I want to go home, reinstate, <laughs> reinstate. I go back in the courtroom and the judge said, what he, and, and this, listen to this, because we're talking about fast and that piece. I did feel a piece. I built a strong piece in that show. And the key witness had a stomach virus. And you know about stomach viruses. They're like within a short amount of period. It's quick. So it literally had to have happened the day before in 24 hour period to knock him out where he can't be in court. I didn't know none of this. And I was not praying. So we don't fast and pray for evil to befall somebody. We fast and pray for good. And I was praying, Lord, you know, restore me. Because really what happened, like really what violated me, I just got put on it. And a week later, I hadn't seen my my aunt in months. And my dad just innocently asked, hey, you know, want to go see your aunt? And I didn't realize that while we were gone for that like hour and a half, two hours, that he would come by. And Mm -hmm. what he did is he waited till the last day of the week before I check in because they're supposed to come by weekly one time as as opposed to certain people that get once a month. The people on this was a lot more strict. And it was just like, oh, like I didn't mean to do that. You know, I even called and even got my dad on the phone with my, and he violated me. So it really was something that got pushed hard that probably could have got overlooked. But the fact remains, I was in I was in there and and then the judge said what he had to say because she said he literally can't be here. And then... They were like, we reached an agreement and the judge heard it and he looked up and he was just like, as far as I'm concerned, you can leave. You can walk out of here free. I, I was like, God put his favor so much on that court day that, that so he, he looked up at me. He's like, you can walk right out of here.
1: No, that is so amazing.
0: And the people had to tell him, well, he's still in the, they got to release him from the county. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, it was, it. It was great. But yes, that, it. that piece comes every time.
1: Yeah. I was just curious. and I want to ask because there's been times where I fasted and I felt like I didn't do it right or some things like that. So I just wanted to ask that question. I kind of want to shift a little bit in our conversation. And I know you mentioned this near-death experience that you had. I would love for you to talk about what happened with that and explain that experience and what happened there.
0: Okay, so we have to back up and go in time here. This is this is back in 1993. So, um,
1: so how old were you then?
0: I was eighteen, and what happened was it was around October, and there was some kind of like a a, a period where we had a weekend where we had time, and people and some friends reached out and pretty much said, "Hey, let's all go on a camping trip to Jenny Springs in in Florida," and. During this time, I had made it all the way through high school, not using drugs and graduated high school on time. And pretty much that summer, I experimented and tried marijuana. So here we are going on this camping trip. And while we're out there, my friends had an idea to take LSD. And so they call it an acid test. And I, I was like, what are y'all talking about? Like, because you know, they were all like into everything they that we, you know, saying, I didn't know nothing about it, like, I was just like, There, all right, well, I wasn't even sure if I was gonna do it, so we get there, and uh, evil company corrupts good manners. I went ahead and did it with them, and they had like this paper ass, and I never forget it had a, a, a picture of like a sun on it, printed in red, it was called Red Sunshine, <laughs> and we. In our tongues, it dissolved. And I actually had already done it maybe once or twice before. So it wasn't the first time for me. And that's why I said I wasn't sure I was going to do it. And then when I did it out there, pretty much I'll fast forward. My friend was cool. He had like this little like stove thing that he set up out there, made spaghetti for everybody. We ate. I mean, it was actually pretty cool. We had tents set up. It was supposed to be a good time. you know. We planned on it to eat. So then uh, these guys had an idea. And they came up to us and there was guys and girls and ballers, about nine of us all together. And they said, hey, let's go into this tent and smoke some marijuana. But everybody that comes in this tent, you got to make a covenant right now. We can't go in that tent unless you're holding something, a rolled up marijuana joint, a, a packed bowl, a bottle. You got to have something in your hand to enter it. And then we're going to smoke. And every time somebody smokes, they're going to pass to the right. And then there's going to be something passing to the left at the same time. Everybody's going to do it simultaneously. And we were installed. It, we came into agreement like this.
1: Very intense.
0: And what was I agreeing to? I didn't think about it. So I go in here and I'll never forget this. I took a drag off of a marijuana cigarette joint or ball or pipe, whatever it was. I think it was a pipe, because I remember having my hand out like this, like holding it. And maybe like the third or fourth hit. But during this, like it just flashed in my mind. I remember this. My mind had become started to get become expanded from the LSD. And I remember this. I could physically feel the pain of coughing coming from smoking the marijuana, but something had clicked in my brain. And I was able to overpower the pain, numb it out and ignore it. So I had to literally tell myself, breathe. Like I would, I was holding in in sick, sick long time. And then I finally breathe. And then I, and then I thought, I thought it was like a, like a childlike joy in my head. Like, oh, this is neat. I can do this while I like this. And well, one time it was maybe the fourth time a loud ringing started in my ear. It was not that loud at first, but it just gradually, gradually, gradually got to a loud ring. I had a smile on my face and I just remember sliding down. The, I could feel something on the side of my face. It was the side of the tent and I, I was passing out as what was happening. Mm. And I was done. I couldn't smoke anymore. Mm-hmm. So I woke up a few minutes later and I sat up. And when I sat up, there was two people in the tent, but there was just nine. But when they're talking, like I'm laying there for a second and I sit up. But when they're talking, I'm like going like this. I'm pulling on my ears. I'm like, hey, they're, they're in the middle of a conversation. They're totally ignoring me. Like whatever they're talking about, they're way off on another planet somewhere. And I'm like, hey, can y'all talk to me real quick? Can you say something? <laughs> yeah. I laugh, but this is what's going on. When they talk, I can barely hear them. It sounds like I'm down in a hole. And they're standing up on the ground like I'm down in a hole. It sounds like they're talking above me like that, like the way it's muted, kind of. And I'm like, "Say it again." And they're talking. And they look at me. They don't even pay me too much of mind, and they go right back at it. Then they leave two minutes later. You're just talking. And they leave. It's like not an emergency, you know. Of course, I didn't know anything either, but I'm worried. So I'm coming out of a daze. I'm, I'm majorly buzzed. So I'm, I go out the tent, and it's like a it's like a U, You know, U. Gotta unzip it. Come out and. I've got this really, really bad feeling inside of me. I feel really weak. I feel like really, really sick. I don't feel good at all. I threw up, found out one of my best friends threw up spaghetti. He had to. And this is, my, my mind just starts to go fast forward. And my mind thinks, go to your best, go to the ones closest to you. And so I go to my best friend at the time, rest of soul, Robbie Davis. He's, he's not with us now, but I said, hey, Robbie, hey, listen, I don't feel good, man. I feel like I might die. I don't feel good. And he dropped his head like that and walked away. What? And he, he, he mumbled that he wasn't feeling good either. Oh. And then my other, my other best friend, Keith Robertson, this guy that I just talked about graduated FSU, this guy, Keith Robertson, he's a scholastic scholarship to UF. This other guy, Joey, I went to, he's a scholastic scholarship to, to UF. These are brilliant friends. Like, so I go to this, I go to my friend, even though we're doing something stupid at the time. So I'm like, Hey, 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 Keith. Hey man, I, I don't feel good, man. It's like, I'm, I'm going to die or something. Man. He chopped his head and said, man, I don't feel good either. I'm having a bad trip. Walked off on it. not Joey, good. <laughs> Joey did the same thing. All the people close to me walk away from me. I'm standing in the woods. Literally, there's a tent, couple tents up. People are around. They're not right close to me. There's a good space. I look around and and immediately a thought comes, well, I'm not going to die out here. I'm going to go back in that tent. I'm not going to be out here looking all crazy. Ends. You know what I mean? Go in the tent. I zip it. When I get down to the bottom of that zip, when I get, when I sit down on the ground, that's about it. That's about it. I'll lay down on the ground on my back. And this is where it gets very scary. I couldn't move my legs anymore. I couldn't move my arms anymore. I noticed if I tried really hard, I couldn't do it. Something was happening. It got to where I couldn't move my face muscles anymore. It's just my eyes. And maybe my lips and stuff, just a little bit of my eyelids. I don't have, I didn't have much, I didn't have control over nothing. Like started just losing all sensation. So I was scared. It was dark and it was darkness upon darkness, if that makes sense. It was dark in the tent, but I could swear I could see shapes moving in the dark, darkness moving in darkness. And I felt, a, I felt a deep sting in the in the middle of my being, deep, deep sting, a big sting, not like a Beasting sting would be little, but this was like a spreading huge feeling in the middle of my being sting feeling. Real fast, what popped through my head was, what would your parents think if you died out here with your best friends? What would their, what would your best friend, Robbie parent, whatever his mom think? what would this person, my mind went to every family connected to me that's closest to me, my best friends and what their families and my families and the sorrow and what welled up in me gave me strength to move one more time and tears streamed down my eyes and I cried out God gives me one more chance in tears and eyes closed, mouth shut. I have nothing else. Okay. I can't move or nothing.
1: So at this point, what was your relationship like with
0: God? So I have a rich prayer life. And this is something I didn't, I don't know if I shared this before, but I, I, was, I grew up and coming home from high school, I used to love to shut my door and talk to God for hours. Okay. It just became a habit. So even though I'm not in the word, and not going to church all the time, I'd pray and talk to God daily, hours sometimes, just laying on the bed, talking to him like we're talking and just sharing what's on my mind. And so that's what was, that's what was going on as far as how I was living. And right.
1: so what happened next after?
0: So what happened next was I was laying there and it was darkness. My eyes are shut. I can't move still. Nothing but I can hear somebody cussing. It's kind of ironically odd. I, I just, I can't even open my eyelids, but I can hear this guy. So I can use my hearing. I can hear this guy. And it's, it's somebody I've never heard before. He's got a strong redneck accent. I mean, that's just the way he sounded. It was a strong redneck type of, you know, like a country accent. and He was cussing a storm. Up. And I just focused on hearing him. So I heard him, heard him, heard him, heard him. My eyes came open. I heard him, heard him, heard him, heard him. I could move my fingers and hands. And I do not remember pushing to this day. But then I was sitting up. Remember, this is a pitch black tent. Now it's night now. And I'm sitting up and I'm wondrous. My heart is just wondrous. And from out behind my head and behind my neck came a bright, pure white light shining and and streams of light coming from behind me because I saw the shape of my shoulders form, my head and the light shining out. And it felt like the Most powerful concentration of love, life, joy, peace, strength coming from the back of my neck, pure love. I could feel it almost like I could just feel it. And it was emanating from there. But that was the concentration of the light when I was seeing my shadow from this light whiter than anything I've ever seen, never seen anything close to it. It's so pure white. There was this almost a hum. On another frequency level of love coming from it. And I was, this is this is my reaction.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's shining out. I'm wondrous. I'm seeing it. I can flex my hand. I can make a fish so strong. I felt like I was five people with full strength at once. Like I could, I was like, my God. I was this is what I said. Wow. Over and over again. Wow. wow. God, you're so cool. This is what I did. I'm sitting there and in my head, I think if I turn around fast enough, I turned around and it was pitch black. I did it three times. I turned around slowly, my my shoulders, my said, the light.
1: Do you feel like this is part of like your trip or what do you feel like?
0: The presence of God was too strong. And I have a couple more testimonies to go with it. He literally manifested his Shekinah light because I was instantly sober. I could feel love. I could feel peace, joy, strength. I saw this light. And at that third time turning around, I realized I didn't know anything about the word of God, that no man has seen God at any time and all this. I didn't know that. I just childlike faith. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed his presence and thanked him and just stayed in his presence and then came out. And then another time I was at home alone and I was smoking marijuana and that same presence came and I didn't know it. I didn't know what the, I was smoking weed and I started to get angry. I put so much in there that it'd be impossible to, 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 to not feel it. And I didn't feel it. I took it. I destroyed the bomb. I took the drugs. I flushed them down a toilet. I threw everything away and I cried. I came back in the room because all I could feel was that his presence again, the same presence that was in that tent. And I wept and I was just like, God, why? So I didn't know. Well, here's the icing on the cake. There was a girl that came to me one night. She was a best friend. Some trouble happened. Someone physically abused her, harmed her. No one would help her. I didn't do anything to anybody, but I gave her a ride somewhere and she harmed his physical property, not him, his material. He har- She harmed something material <laughs> to get him back. And so I did that. And this is where God showed me it's me. Because I did it because I liked her a lot. And I thought she would see that I was helping her. And that it, at the end, she didn't even hug me at all. At the end of it, she just left, went home. And it happened to be, she didn't know this, but I took LSD when I got off work. So it was amplified what I was feeling. And it was so depressing and so lonely. I was crying in my room. It was horrible. I pray and the presence of God came down. And I was stuck to my bed. I felt a perceptible physical presence pushing me down on the bed of love, and I could not move for like five hours. That next day, I watched TBN, I watched Benny Hinn, the same presence I felt in the tent, the same presence I felt when I was going to marijuana, and I couldn't get high. And I got, and I was frustrated and felt his presence and didn't know it was him. I would never be frustrated at his presence now. But then that next day, I'm watching Meanie Hen. He's talking the word of God and worshiping. I feel that presence amplified. I'm like, my God. So I put my hand up. He, puts his, he used to put his hand up and he'd pray at the end of his service. And I put my hand right on the screen and I loved it. I was worshiping God and I just saw love coming from his face. His face was like deep red. I could see like love emanating from him. And I was like, wow, my dad walks by. It's just me and, the, me and my dad in the house. Hey, dad, I stopped him. He looked like he's about to leave. He had his Raiders hat on. Hey, dad, oh, I'm saved. He's like, okay. I said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He said, what denomination are you? That's good, son. And he had to leave. He had to go somewhere. So it's kind of funny how answer yeah. <laughs> so he answered me. So he, he goes out the door. He leaves. That presence is strong. So there's nobody here but me and this little kitten. I come out of the room. That kitten makes a beeline for my leg and is purring with unstoppable powerful purring and she's pressed against my leg and running at the same time around my, around my ankle. I could feel her purring and her moving at the same time. Like it, it was crazy. I was like, wow. And I'll never forget this. I opened the door and the beauty of the flowers and the day, and I was just looking out and I felt his presence so powerful that I've come to know that's him. And I heard this voice behind me say, go. And I remember to this day, I said, no. I was scared and I shut the door.
1: Go where? And
0: I wilted I don't know. Oh, okay. I just heard go. I heard go. So, you know, there's a place in the Bible that talks about Samuel when he's a young boy, first hearing the words of the Lord. He doesn't know it's the Lord. He goes to Eli. keeps hearing God speaking to him. Mm-hmm. Finally, he said, well, if it, it's here and again, saying, it, uh, here I am, here am I. Oh Lord, I'll do whatever you say. But I go to, I, so I go to use a bathroom, you know, I'm alone I'm, home alone. I'm not even thinking about anything. I use the bathroom. I walk out of the bathroom. As soon as I take a step out of the bathroom, that presence is still strong. As soon as I take a step out of the bathroom, the door slams behind me so powerfully, there's wind on the back of my neck, my ankle, my heel, the door shut exactly behind my heel. it it slammed. When a door slams, you got like this little shaking sound. It slammed behind me. I freeze. My eyes are big. I'm scared. And my mind moves like this. And I'm like, did somebody climb in the window? Because there's a little tiny, skinny like window on the the shower side above the bathtub. Could they have climbed in real quick while I walked out? And my mind just, it just didn't compute. And I just turned around, was in tears and got on my door. I didn't open the door. I got on my face and was crying. I just watched testimonials about God showing up in people's lives on Benny Hinn, on TBN, and they were giving powerful testimony of God showing up, like near death and all kinds of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And they had an amazing service. God had amazing service there and touched people. So I'm crying. I feel that presence. And I opened the door and hold on. Remember when I said the door slammed? At the same time it slammed, I heard doo, 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 the toilet lid dropping and I heard all at the same time. So the door slammed. I heard the toilet lid bouncing and which was the shower curtain. It was open when I used I left the toilet lid up, washed my hand, stepped out and the door slammed on me and all. So simultaneously, because when I open the door, the curtain is perfectly shut. The toilet lid is is down. And that pre- the presence the pre- His present. And I, I, I'm in there. I'm looking around. I go out into the living room and I get on my face weeping and I say a prayer. And I say, God, please let your presence never leave this house. Please, God. There were so many times where I was praying and I was saying, I'm so unworthy. Why? But I just accepted and said, Lord, please just never leave this house. Let your presence never be here, and so that was my experience with the near death and me coming to believe that the Jesus that was presented to me that I accepted, He's real, He's living, He answers prayer. (laughs) No,
1: that's that's incredible. I'm so curious. I know it's been years since those experiences and your drug use and all that stuff. What do you feel like? How do I want to ask this? It's hard to answer the question. Why would God do something? But has God given you clarity around? Why he was presenting himself to you in that way in those younger years, like so intensely, you know, while you're taking drugs, has he given you clarity on why he presented himself to you in those ways?
0: Through the trials I've been through and because, you know, the drug use didn't stop because of that. You know, there's there's some deep seated things down inside our hearts that we can't see in Jeremiah it says how how this desperately wicked and how deceitful above all things is our heart. Who can know it? You know, so there's things going on down in there and hurts that I didn't know that were there that manifested in different kinds of drug use after that. Did I do LSD anymore? Probably, you know, that was maybe one more time happened long years after that. But things happened, and I seen later there was spiritual warfare. And I also saw this because I sat under an apostle. And when it comes to the word of God and the apostles, he set the apostles first and prophets, evangelists, preachers, teachers. And it, there's, a, there's a system he's got and a government. And there's a reason for that. An apostle hears directly from the Lord. Have I heard directly from the Lord? But I've seen it kind of like. And if I, if I'm, if I talk to people, I can sense what spirit is in them. If I look them in the eye and never met them before, I can tell what kind of person they are and what they say and do lines up with what thought crossed my mind, which I know is the Lord showed it to me beforehand. But these things the Lord showed was doing then is preparing me for the ministry now that he's allowing me to get involved in. But back up when I stand under the apostle, he physically heard God's words. And this is what the Lord showed him. He was, uh, Basically, going to just dive in after he heard the Lord's voice, and he bought all the commentaries out there of the great ministers, men and women of God, and a Bible. And right when he's about to dive in the commentary here, God audibly stop him. Stop, man has corrupted my words. You read my word and learn from me, and it caused him to weep and cry. And he stopped. He was about to grab those books, he threw them all away, or took them back, whatever he did. He just he stayed home for a year and just read his Bible and prayed. Mm-hmm. And he would come to the prison and witness to me. And when I did my first time locked up and he'd come faithfully and they would meet six days a week, their church, the Lord had allowed me to be locked up, to be still away from those things where I could focus on his word and get close to his voice in prayer. And as far as reading the word, starting to understand, like you said, to get clarity, I started to realize like Paul. Like Pastor Taylor, their testimonies is, you can't shake them from their testimony. Pastor Taylor was an atheist and heard God speaking to him audibly. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee leading Christians to be killed and locked up in prison. Then God, the kind of light shone around him on the, on the road to Damascus. You can't take them away from God anymore. Their testimony. That's exactly why he did that to me. So now, there's all kind, of, And I see now, as, as I'm out here now, everybody's got the way. It's online everywhere. There's the whatever that is when you do what you're your own God and you do your own thing. What it says in the word is going to happen in the last days is people are going to be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So what kind of testimonies are going to be contrary to that? One that will be shaken because Revelation chapter 12 says quite plainly, and they overcame him. By the word of their testimony and by the blood of the lamb, loving not their lives, even unto death. And I had to give that kind of a testimony while I was locked up. And it caused someone who was was really picking on Christians. He was a Muslim. They read the word of God, too. Yeah. I found that out because he brought some scriptures at me. But the Lord had literally weaned me for him. Because not only had I been reading four chapters in the morning, four chapters and in the, in the, at lunchtime and four chapters at night from Matthew to Revelation before I ever got to prison. And that was for eight months. So I went through the New Testament like 50 times. So by the time I got there and when he started coming with me with scriptures, I had scriptures right there with him because I had started getting into the Old Testament. And he was bringing me and people couldn't answer him, but I could. Or I could go into prayer and come back and have an answer. And and then one day he just came up to me. One day he, he was provoking other Christians. He came up to me, he said something. And I looked him right in his eye and said, listen, I will put my head on a guillotine right now for Jesus Christ. I will not deny him. I don't care. I'll do it right now. I looked him right in the eye. He never messed with me again. He never messed with me again. As a matter of fact, I had favor with a lot of the Muslim guys and I was a law clerk. And a lot of them are Muslim, but they they actually let me I could I could literally when they're doing a cipher with all their knowledge, they'd let me I could like hang out near them and just listen to them. I would just like, you know, they're people, too. They're really close to us, really. They're just the, from the lineage of Ishmael. So I, I would just like I'd learn from their site. man, they edify each other. That's cool. I'd like to like listen at it. I'd be like, this is cool. This is neat, you know. So we actually had things happen where those of us who were deep in the Word and seeking the things of God, like it, fasting in fasting and prayer. So there's those of us who were looking for the manifestation of the pray, of the Spirit and the gifts in First Corinthians chapter twelve. We wanted to experience these 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 things. So there was el- there was leaders and those that were more in the Word, be- or you know, they were in the Word before me, and so we, they were guiding, saying these things, and. There was a time where they had they were doing worship services in their in their rooms. And this guy would come provoking them. He was a Muslim. Different guy, not the same guy I said earlier. And, you know, they would be like four, five, six of them in the room praying and worshiping. That's what they said is they would worship. They would read the word. And and different brothers would be preparing the word for that time and they'd give the word. And those and they would be praying and asking for the gifts of the spirit to manifest. They'd be fasting for it. And so that guy came. One day he came. And when he came to provoke them, they were worshiping the Lord. And the spirit of God fell on that guy and he started speaking in tongues. He he fell over near the front of the door of the ring, come to provoke him, and he started speaking in tongues. He became a on fire Christian and he already knew the word, but he also knew the Quran. So he was like Paul. He was powerful in the in his testimony. <laughs> And, and 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 it just it reverberated through the community of believers. Like, yes, our God's powerful. You know, we didn't say nothing, and God fell on them <laughs> and turned him. So it's just like, you know, it's yeah. I mean, I got goosebumps talking about it. Yeah. God is so. I mean, I can't explain what why he does things, but he's right. awesome. You know? Yeah,
1: <laughs> his plan. I mean, it's, his plan's already written. Nothing we do can deter it. And he's all powerful. He's so good. Yeah. His plan's so good. So I want one thing that I wanted to ask, you know, as believers who believe all things are for the greater good, right? And so I think you yeah. answered this question of, you know, your experience in prison, what good came from it. But I think you answer that with saying it just brought you closer to the Lord and it's part of your testimony. Um, yeah. Did you want to add anything else?
0: It, it caused me to to look at what really matters and and, and to to really, because because people won't tell me, hey, look, when you're free, you've never fasted and prayed when you're free. You fasted and prayed when you're in jail before you're 14. You fasted and prayed when you're gone. Right? Do it when it counts. Nobody sit me down and said, hey, so when I got out this time, I couldn't wait to implement, doing it. And then the first fast I let in, and this really opened a lot of doors for me, is not, it wasn't for myself. The first fast I was let in was for somebody else. And when I saw that, and when I saw him answer, and when I saw the state of, of my heart it brought me to, and the closeness of his presence, I felt even more. I was like, Lord, it just caused me to realize I have been blind for a long time. And so many more breakthroughs have come. It's good. God is good.
1: So good. That's so amazing. I love that. That's a really important lesson too. The last thing that I wanted to just conclude with is what's been the biggest, I know there's so many probably, but what's been the biggest shift you had to make to go from where you were, you know, drug addiction, prison, different things like that to where you are now. What's been the biggest shift that you've had to make in your life?
0: basically cutting off negative influences and not going and being around that. To say it is one thing, but it can be so easy. It can be so easy just to, I haven't heard from you in forever and they're messaging me on Messenger or something. And then it's like, hey, I'm over here. You want to meet me? So it's like just to step up and actually be a real man of faith to say, you know what? i missed this. It's been a while since I've seen this person, but it's not the best for me. And doing it, Consistently over and over again, I have seen people, but it's in a controlled environment. And then they're able to actually say, wow, I can see a change. You know, so God has still ministered through that. And, uh, also having, having finances, whereas before they weren't there, but now I'm paying bills and stuff is, is getting taken care of and God's making a way when I need it. And it's just like, wow, God, I can't do nothing but continue with you. I don't want to go back that way. Don't (laughs) There's nothing there.
1: No, that's so big. And I totally agree. It's one thing to say like, okay, we need to cut off negative influences, but it is so easy to fall back into that, especially when you have built those deep relationships with those people. And that's the one thing that I tell people, like it's your environment. Your environment influences you so much. So I think that's that's a great piece of advice for the audience, for listeners of saying they want to make a big shift in their life. That being the biggest shift that you had to make, so thank you for sharing that. Now, where can the listeners find you? Because I know you work with different people and you have a flourishing business. Where can the people find you if they want to contact you or just to have more of Darnell?
0: And my Instagram would be the best. I'll actually go on there and witness and pray for do the words. That's gonna be Instagram at Darnell Cole. So it's it's not spelled like any other Darnell. (laughs) D-O-U-R-N-E-L-L-C-O-L-E. So anytime anyone wants to reach out, they can. I'll be more than happy to reach back out.
1: Perfect. No, that's amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Darnell. This was a blast just hearing your stories. I've never really heard anything like what you what you've shared. And just bringing that glory to God every single time. I'm so excited just to see what he does in your life continue moving forward. So thank you.
0: Praise God. Praise God. I, and I appreciate you having me here. God bless you and your business and your family. It's just really like surreal to to be part of ministry right now as, as far as the what I what God has brought me through. And I give him the glory right now and Thank you for having me.
1: All right, let's bring it in. Giving you a virtual hug because you just finished another episode of Blackouts to Breakthroughs podcast. And you know what? You just deserve it. The reviews and subscriptions mean a lot to me. So if you love today's episode, make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any other episodes. Also, I'd love to hear your takeaways. So feel free to screenshot this episode, put it in your stories and tag me at Blackouts to Breakthroughs on Instagram with your biggest takeaways so I can connect with you and share your post. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, friend.